Jesus Christ. He is King, and He is Lord. He is holy, and He is worthy. He is worthy of our admiration, and He is worthy of all of our best efforts, including our best efforts to understand Him. Never has there been anyone who has been so thoroughly misunderstood while having so much ink spilled over who he is in history. Yet Jesus, though he has given himself to us in his own disclosure through the revelation of the Bible, has been roundly misunderstood by those who would add to, by those who would subtract from, by those who would intentionally and willfully turn away, and by those who with very real zeal and care be consumed by some other misdirection. Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord, the misunderstood one, he is our topic for today. We will be speaking on this Jesus as our subject as I welcome back again today Paul Trask and his lovely wife Leslie, the uh, ministers of, if you will, uh, Refiner's Fire, a wonderful, wonderful ministry. This is Well-Placed Faith, an hour-long program about life, liberty, and the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well-Placed well Faith begins now. Greetings, welcome back. This is Well-Placed Faith. I'm Matt Burton, and with me today are my good friends, uh, Paul and Leslie. You all have been very dear uh, to me, and I know that you are both uh, wonderful soldiers on the part of Christ, uh, having come through some very troubling events in your life, not just mere uh, hardship and heartache, but uh, the, the struggles of having at one time thought that you knew the truth and having to struggle against some of that and, and now coming into a uh, genuine, a bona fide understanding and appreciation of Jesus and his true gospel. And now, as I understand it, you are both uh, consumed with the refiner's fire uh, and desiring very much to be able to share the good news, the message that you have come on to. So last week, um, I wanted to answer the question of why are you doing this? And I wanted to take 50 minutes or so to come into the answer of why 
are you doing this? Why are you about this ministry, the Refiner's Fire Ministry, uh, which you can find out more about at helpforrlds.com? All right, very good. So people, please be quite ready. Write that down. Well, no, that's, I'm, that's me. I'm well-placed, Faith. Okay. This is, however, Refiner's Fire Ministry, and it's at helpforrlds.com. Please, if you uh, hear something in this hour that strikes uh, an interest or something, be quite ready to go to that website and look into the information. Whether you are someone struggling with doubt, whether you are someone who is very secure and confident in uh, your faith, uh, what have you, this can either sharpen you or challenge you or grow you in some way if you'll go there. yeah, uh, Matt, this is Paul. I, I would just like to clarify that website address. Oh, and qu- now I've done it. Well, no, it's, it, it can be confusing unless people realize that the four is the numeral four. So oh, it would course. be H-E-L-P and then the numeral four and then R-L-D-S.com. So if they try to spell out for F-O-R, that won't work. Yeah. Uh, so they need to put in the numeral four. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. The digit, if you will. Thank you for bringing that up because, yeah, I, I know this in my own head and I'm so familiar with it, in fact, that I just passed over the top of it. So, all right. I really don't want to spend much time on, on my part, really. Um, I want to go right into uh, you all, your story, where you've come from. And I think that we've uh, heard some of what you've had to say last, uh, it wasn't last week, it was the week before last, Paul, uh, which there's more to be said, of course. But I really would like to start the show off uh, with Leslie. Um, she is, as I, uh, I have the inside scoop, she's really the brains and the brawn and the beauty of the whole operation. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Leslie, if you would please give us uh, the, I hate to do this, but the short version, please, um, of, of your story, please. Yes, it is a long one, Matt. But, I, <laughs> um, it starts off with me being sixth-generation Mormon on one side and five on the other. And so you can see that I, I mean, I have ancestors that go back to the days of Joseph Smith. And as I grew up, it became my identity. Even into adulthood, that was who I was. When I was about 16, I had an experience at a camp where I was kind of upset with the church, and I just cried out, it's all about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. Why does the church have to make it so hard? And from you know, that beginning, I looked more to Jesus, I think, than I did my church, but it still took me, oh, 16 to 20 years later to come out. Now, Leslie, to be honest, uh, around that same time, you should tell our listeners that that's around the same time that you met me. That's right. I did meet Paul about that time. And that's when you cried out, oh, help me, Jesus? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) This was in a camp experience, and he was not there. But I realized that it was about Jesus and just about Jesus. So the the short story is Paul and I got married. Um, We began a life together. Uh, We had a son. We were in the church working hard. We were there every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time the doors were open. Uh, Paul served as pastor many times. I taught Sunday school classes. And then we began to study. We had heard that there were changes made to the prophecies in the Doctrine and Covenants that Joseph Smith purportedly had gotten straight from God. And we thought, well, 
in my mind, I thought, how can anybody change something they got straight from God? How dare you? And so we, be, we began to look at the changes. And pretty soon we realized that there was so many changes and they were so drastic that we put those prophecies, that book uh, of Doctrine and Covenants away and said, this is not true. But I still held out for the Book of Mormon. That, that was... That was what Joseph Smith translated. And as we began to study, we found out that many of the ways that he translated, many of the, the history that I learned of the church was simply not true, that it had been cleaned up. And so as we began to study more and more, I was afraid. And I was begging God, please show me that the Book of Mormon is true. Please show me. And so for, I don't know, a couple months, every Wednesday night at prayer service, I said, Lord, just have a little child stand up and give a testimony of the Book of Mormon. Something, anything, please show me that it's true. And on a particular Wednesday night, I uh, was begging God so much that my, my chest hurt. Um, I had been begging him all day that this would be the night that he would show me that the Book of Mormon was true. So the prayer meeting um, started and ended, and there was no message. But I was so distraught that I had a seizure that night. And they took me to the hospital. I spent three days in the hospital, and they could find nothing wrong. And I realized years later that, at that from that moment on, I never begged God again to show me the truth of the Book of Mormon. I went on with my life. Um, yes. And Leslie, on our website, you have your testimony uh, printed out in written form there, and it seems to me that the title of your very testimony is A Strange Answer to Prayer. Yes. I, I really feel like that was an answer to prayer. God was saying to me, I can't show you the truth of the Book of Mormon because it isn't. And so as Paul and I continued to study um, one of the things that just grabbed me, and I'm going to read a quote from Joseph Smith because I just, uh, I just couldn't believe this, and this is one of the things that, that I read just before I left. And I quote, this is Joseph Smith, I have more to boast than ever any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did. I boast that no man did, ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. I was floored because I felt like Joseph was putting himself above Jesus himself. And, and that really did it for me. He was boasting that he was better than Jesus. How could anybody do that? And it just tore my heart apart. Um, I just thought, oh, what's, what's going to happen to Joseph? Um, of course, after the seizure, after reading things like this, I was out. And, um, but I didn't know where to go. Ms. Leslie, it seems to me that if... God gave you a seizure, that seems like something that's terrible. 
but on the uh, that's only sort of on the face of it. If it took something like a seizure to get your attention so as to be able to pull you from this deception, then that was a severe mercy. Yes, it was, very much so. Um, and it just, even at the moment, at the time that it happened, I didn't realize how big it was in my life. Years later, looking back, I thought, I never questioned again that there was any truth in, in my church, in the RLDS church. I never, I just knew that, that I had to come out, that I had to turn to true Christianity. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, Leslie, when I was on the show a couple of weeks ago with Matt, um, I, I told our uh, audience that uh, we had a picnic yeah, with about 100 people, uh, former RLDS, and I asked how many, how many used to be RLDS, about 100 hands went up, and then as soon as those hands went down, I asked again, how many of you never really understood the gospel until you left the RLDS church? And as far as I could tell, those very same hands went right back up. Now, uh, as we've talked over the years, you've mentioned to me uh, the, the way that the gospel unfolded for you after you left the RLDS church. And in your case, um, you had a particular uh, revelation or understanding of what grace really means. Yes, I think I left... Um, my old church because I realized that it was not true and I had a sense for it is just about Jesus and nothing else but I didn't really understand grace and um, one day I was sitting in a church that I had been attending and they were talking about grace and I understood the definition of the word I understood what it was supposed to mean but I was slammed, and that's the only way I can think about it, with the meaning, the true meaning of grace, how I was a sinner, and, and that conviction hit me. And the grace went from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And wow, God really blessed me with an understanding of grace, which I never, ever understood up to that point in my life. It seems to me that, uh, again, this uh, severe mercy has been poured out on you, that, that you've had some things rather painfully introduced to you that have produced wonderful, beautiful uh, blossoms, that the end product of this is uh, a beautiful thing and a wonderful testimony. And uh, to get to some of the answer of last week's question of why are you doing this, it seems to me, you, know, you correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me that part of it is that you are desperate in mercy, desperate in compassion for them, that is to say those that are still caught up in some of the deception, that they would be spared from this severity, that they would stand on your shoulders in some way, or that you would somehow be able to issue to them uh, the mercy apart from having to run into some of these severities. And you have the extended hand, as I understand it, for those who are uh, going through some of the severity of this. Now, nobody is going to suggest that coming into the truth is an easy thing. In fact, as I understand it, Christ had to go through terrible and horrible uh, matters in his uh, mistreatment from his own people. And now uh, there is an opportunity for people to truly follow the crucified Christ, to pick up their cross and to bear it daily. And you are issuing an invitation uh, together to follow the crucified yet risen Christ. Well, that's so true, Matt. 
um, our, our ministry uh, sometimes uh, is reacted to quite negatively on the part of Latter-day Saints. Uh, they feel that they are being attacked or persecuted by us uh, because we are uh, challenging uh, and trying to look openly at their own faith, at their own scriptures, at their own theology. And so they think that this is some kind of a hate ministry, some kind of an attack uh, or some kind of persecution on our part. Um, and Matt, I, I tell you, I think you know me well enough to know that I, I have way better ways to spend my time uh, than, than having an axe to grind toward people. Rather, this is a ministry of love. I think I mentioned uh, to our audience the last time that I kind of moved into this ministry rather kicking and screaming. I, I didn't really uh, have this in mind um, until the Lord kind of uh, took me by the nose and, and led me into it. Uh, and so it's a ministry of love. We'd, uh, we discovered that the house that we'd been living in was on fire. And so we raced out of that house uh, to save our lives, so to speak, spiritually. But once we got out and, and had uh, got the smoke off our clothes and quenched the flames, um, we looked back and we realized that there are a goodly number of people that we left behind in that house. And... <clears throat> And so we're choosing, uh, this is a voluntary choice on our part, to go back into that house uh, to try to help others to safety and to freedom. Yeah, I myself would like to say that on my part, I'm putting my name alongside of yours in that uh, I, I recognize in you that this is something that you are both doing out of compassion. This is something that you are doing uh, not out of hatred, not out of just even a, a, a want of challenging people for the sake of challenging people. Uh, you are both very winsome, you're both very approachable, you're both very knowledgeable, you're both very gracious. And I, uh, I just extend to you, I would like to uh, commend you publicly for all of your efforts to reach out to these people who uh, may think that they have the truth. And, and therefore, because of that, Please understand that this challenge is not a challenge out of some desire to get up somebody's nose or something along those lines. Rather, if you are uh, out there in radio land, if you all are secure and that you think that you know the truth, then please be ready to do business with the challenge of, of facing up to the information that you all, uh, Refiner's Fire, provide. If, if you know and you have no doubt, then in that case, you should be quite pleased to do business with this information. Uh, I would put to you that kind of a challenge, but if you are having doubts, you're right to have those doubts. And I would again issue you uh, graciously to go to help for RLDS. That is help, the numeral four, RLDS.com and just simply look into this. They're not going to pester you. They're not asking you to sign up for something. They're not asking you to uh, do anything other than just simply eat of the fruit that's available that they, they've worked so hard to uh, gather together and and simply read over it if you'd like there is of course more help uh, to be had so well thank you very much matt we we oh, appreciate sure. we appreciate those kind words um and uh, and, and you're right uh, this is a ministry of love and compassion and you did mention the website that there is uh, a, truly a wealth of information there oh, yes. if people would avail themselves of it. There are online books. So we're not asking you necessarily to buy books. Yeah, free, free. Nobody's These asking you to buy them. That is right. You have free 
This, Books. It's all free. Uh, tr- tr- trust me that this is not a this is not a money making exercise that we're involved in here. <laughs> yeah. you, you you can yes. trust me on that. Yes. Yes. And so we're we're not really trying to make any money on this. Uh, and, and goodness knows we've been very successful at that. Um, <laughs> uh, and so we make our inf- we just want to get some information out there. Now on in our online books, as you look at each table of contents, you can click on a chapter title, and it'll download for you a PDF of that chapter. Uh, that you can read entirely online. In fact, we've, we've gotten uh, word back from people. Uh, of course, you always wonder who's looking at your website. Sometimes we get some feedback, which we appreciate. And we come to find out that there are some people who have never bought our material, but they just uh, they just go online and read it and get what they need and move on. And uh, we're happy to have that be so. So we encourage uh, each of you out there to take advantage of that information. Now, one of the things that Leslie mentioned as she was closing her testimony was her uh, discovery of true biblical grace. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Matt, as, as a minister and as a lover of the Bible and the Word of God, you know that grace is central to the gospel of Christ. Absolutely right. In fact, grace is the essence of Christ's gospel. Uh, and so there is an article on my website entitled... Where's the grace? So if you get onto the website under resources, you'll find articles, and then if you'll scroll down, you'll see the the article that I've written, uh, which started off as a newsletter from years ago, called Where's the Grace? And so I I chose uh, Matt to examine uh, Joseph. You know, we've been talking about vocabulary changes, you know, and and how Christians would view grace versus how Joseph Smith, consequently Latter-day Saints, uh, view grace. And there's quite a marked difference there. And I'd like to just take a moment, if you don't mind. Yeah, that would be, I think, very helpful, in fact. Um, Interestingly, in Greek, and as a student of Greek, you know this, Matt, uh, in in Greek, uh, the word charis... Uh, it can be variously translated either grace or gift. And so when I, I teach, I encourage uh, those who are in my classes, as they read through the Bible, to try flipping those words around. When you, came, when you come across grace in the Bible, uh, substitute the word gift. And when you come across gift in the Bible, substitute grace. And you'll find out that it's, it, it reads nearly the same, but it connotes the same sense of a gracious gift being bestowed on someone. Uh, that is what leads um, Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9, to say, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And you'll notice in this passage where uh, even Paul himself uh, uses the, the word charis twice, once uh, translated as grace, the second time as the gift of God. And so he's trying to demonstrate, you know, being emphatic, you know, the word processors that Paul had in his day didn't have bold and underline um, and a 48-point type. So in, in ancient writing, you had to have different ways of emphasizing what you wanted to say. And repetition um, was oftentimes, in the Old Testament especially, that's parallelism, where the author would basically say the same thing twice using different words. Of course, with uh, Paul's uh, Jewish background and, and his understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures, he's, he's really practicing that kind of parallelism here by essentially expressing the same thought a second time using slightly different words, but with completely synonymous understandings. And so he's emphasizing, this is Paul's way of really emphasizing that the gospel of Christ is grace. He forgives our sins. We, we, you know, we committed offenses that we could never repay, 
And so Christ took upon himself those offenses and set us free. Uh, we could never merit it. In fact, we are incapable of meriting uh, the, the grace or the gift of God. And so, By definition, it goes unmerited. Yes. By definition, any attempt at trying to rewrite that short circuits what it is. Absolutely true. And so uh, I decided to take this under study, and I uh, used my Bible software to count the number of times in the New Testament that the word grace is used. And it's used 123 times, which really helps to underscore the centrality of grace sure. in the gospel of Christ. So when I got done with that study, Matt, what I did is I took up Joseph Smith's Doctrine and Covenants. And, and I did two word studies there. I looked up grace, and then I looked up law. And you'd be surprised at what I found. In the Doctrine and Covenants that Joseph Smith created, grace is used only 26 times. But law was used three times as much, 75 times, nearly three times as many times. And then what I did when I got done with that study, I went back and I actually looked at those 26 uses of grace. And most of the time, it was a kind of punctuation or kind of an attribute of deity. It wasn't talking about an operative principle of the gospel, as we've just read from Paul in Ephesians. It was more of an attribute of deity, full of grace and truth, you know, something that you would attribute to deity without any content. It was just kind of a title or, or an attribute that you would ascribe to deity. That's most of the time that even grace was used in his writings. And yet, when we look at law, he gives all kinds of, in fact, he refers to God as, as our lawgiver, you know, as if that's God's continuing role uh, after the cross is one of giving, giving laws uh, to his people. So I thought our, our listening audience would find that interesting. That, uh, that I certainly find it interesting. That kind of a statistical model is just a hard, wooden, numeric demonstration of uh, what it is that's going on at the back of uh, the writings. And uh, it must be understood, or at least appreciated, please, that recognizing the investment that both Paul and Leslie had in the RLDS church, that they are innocent of fudging. Please, that, that you will understand that this came from a search for truth. This is not something that they are innocent of fudging. And I, I would ask you out there in Radio Land, please, again, in your considerations, that you would extend a little bit of a hermeneutic of trust here and that you would know that this was born out of uh, a grief, but it was also born out of a pursuit for truth. And in pursuing the truth, these uh, numbers show up. Well, and that's so true. In fact, I was I was very interested in the results of my own research on that. That's why I decided to write this article to provide that information to those who would care to to benefit from the research that I'd done, Matt. And so, what I did also is I looked at grace in the Book of Mormon. And um, you know, Matt, we've been talking. You know, Latter Day Saints use a a Christian term, but they have a different understanding from it than a a classic Orthodox Christian would have. Now, here's an example that I'd like to to quote out of the book out of the Book of Mormon. Which let me real quick repeat so as people understand this. What Paul just said was that they 
that is to say, not, not merely the RLDS, you know, we're not simply slinging mud. That's not the point here. We're trying to make clear some differences that do make a difference, that there is the use of a similar vocabulary, but that the words are defined differently. You may recall from last week that Paul was explaining that they say Jesus, don't they? They, they talk about Jesus Christ. But if you have a caricatured Jesus, it is the same name, but a different person behind it at that point. Well, words can be used that way as well. So some of these theologically freighted terms if you change the definition of them, sure, they say the same thing, and they may even use the same kinds of intonation as they speak these phrases, but they'll come out meaning something different. So again, you're going to actually address some of this issue of the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary coming to then a different understanding and appreciation. Yes, that's what I'd like to do for a minute, Matt, but I'd like to go back to the different Jesus, different gospel that you just mentioned, yeah. which we did talk about a couple of weeks ago. I have had um, Latter-day Saints laugh at me like, well, that's just craziness. There's only one Jesus. It's the Jesus of Scripture. And so how can you say uh, that we believe in a different Jesus or a different gospel? There's only one. Well, at that point, I'd like to reintroduce the Apostle Paul again. And what I'm going to read now is from his second uh, letter to the Corinthian church, uh, chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul says to those early converts of his. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Well, and so, Leslie and I did not bring up, we did not invent this other Jesus, other gospel. We got it from the Apostle Paul, because even in the first century church, there were people extant even then who were going around distorting the person of Christ, distorting the word of Christ, and dis distorting people's understanding of who Jesus was. He makes that very clear in this passage, Matt, that I just read out of Second Corinthians, and, and you and I both know that, that Paul makes this abundantly clear uh, throughout uh, his letter to the Galatian churches. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to bring this up that this is not a this is not a novel concept uh, that we dreamt up and are accusing people of uh, blithely. This is a solidly a biblical, a biblically anchored understanding, and it has been true in the church ever since the days of of uh, Paul the apostle. Mm -hmm. Now, getting back to our topic at hand. In terms of where the grace, I was going to read you a passage out of the Book of Mormon, which helps shape Latter-day Saints' understanding of how grace operates. Now this, uh, for our RLDS listeners, uh, this comes out of Second Nephi, chapter 11, verse 44. Mimicking the Apostle Paul, the author here says, For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, comma, after all we can do. That is a desperate departure. After all we can do. 
Now this is, you know, Matt, you've got you've got children. This would be like giving, you know, uh, wanting to give your uh, son, your seven-year-old son, a bicycle. He's trying to earn money for it. He earns nine. The, the, the bicycle is going to cost a hundred dollars, and so your young son um, has saved up ninety-nine dollars and seventy-five cents. He can't quite make it. He can't quite purchase that bike. And so you as his father chip in 25 cents to get him over the finish mark. And so he's able to buy his bike. And so you then, as his father, are seen as gracious because you chipped in 25 cents. This is pretty much the way this passage leads us to believe God operates. That we're expected to, in order to be saved and to obtain the grace of God, we have to do everything humanly possible. We have to exhaust ourselves and spend ourselves. And then if we come up short, like the merciful God, he chips in a quarter to kind of get us through the finish line because, well, you know, we didn't quite make it on our own merit. And so this passage really puts our merit and our effort first, and then if we come up short, you know, God will chip in a little bit to kind of get us over the finish line. I, I hope that people are uh, stricken by the blunt force of what was just pointed out there, that, that you can at least see uh, that there is a, 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 a distinction that does make a difference to the appreciation of how grace works, what the gospel is, uh, what kind of, uh, not kind, it's, a diff- it's not different grace, it's grace and then something else falsely labeled. If I can just be so direct, I mean, at that point, what we need is not for me to be uh, so bold and triumphant to, you know, suggest whatever it is that I'll suggest. What we have need of is a dictionary and let the dictionary simply answer the question for us. That changes things desperately. It, It makes for a remove of, not just a coloring of, it makes for a remove of grace. That's so very true, Matt. And, uh, you know, during our time together, you know, what we want to do is understand Latter-day Saintism. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that Latter-day Saints view God through the lens of Joseph Smith. And that lens of Joseph Smith are his Doctrine and Covenants, his Book of Mormon, and the inspired version of his Bible. Though that is the lens, the lens of Joseph Smith, through which Latter-day Saints see God. That was true of Leslie and I. And so that lens was all messed up. It's like going in, you know, we've all been to circus amusement parts, and you go into these mirrors, and mm-hmm. these mirrors are intentionally crafted to make you look fat or skinny or elongated or some, some goofy kind of way. Mm-hmm. And so they distort our image. In, in like manner, that lens of Joseph Smith has distorted the person of Christ and has distorted his gospel as a consequence. Now, we just read that one uh, verse from you out of Second Nephi in the Book of Mormon. I'd like to be more contemporaneous now and, and read, Matt, to you something comparable uh, out of the Doctrine and Covenants. And for those who are taking notes, uh, this will come from Doctrine and Covenants uh, section 76, um, verse 5b. That by keeping the commandments they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins. Now, uh, and then it goes on, and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying out of hands of him who is ordained and sealed under this power. 
which is their exclusive priesthood authority that we've talked about before and will likely talk about again. But the point that I wanted to emphasize this morning is that they are washed and cleansed. You know, Joseph Smith su- suggested that Latter-day Saints were washed and cleansed from all their sins by keeping the commandments. Right. Now, as Christians, believing in the Jesus, uh, the real Jesus of the real Bible, we know that Christians are washed and cleansed from all of our sins by the blood of Christ alone. Given Not- freely given freely and that there's nothing that there's no commandment that we can keep and you know if we look carefully at the writings of the apostle paul he just makes this so abundantly clear in galatians uh, th- actually throughout all of his writings uh that that being a christian has nothing to do with law keeping uh it has everything to do with faith and so i bring these scriptures up to you this morning uh, Matt, so that we might understand. So our listening, we, we know that listening today uh, will be some Latter-day Saints that might be interested in hearing this concept of grace compared between the real Bible and the writings of Joseph Smith. But we know that there are concerned Christians out there as well, uh, some of whom may believe there's really not that much difference between these churches. We want to help elucidate them as well. We want them to help we want to help them understand the lens mm-hmm. through which their Latter-day Saint friends and neighbors and workmates are viewing God. And so when they use grace <clears throat> and, and they use law, uh, we, we have to understand some of the source documents, the, the core scriptures, which have, has framed their theology, which has framed uh, their view and understanding of God. Right. There are so many things that need to be said in so many directions that we can go, but I hope that just by this simple bit of, um, uh, we'll call it information, though it's so much more than that, that uh, if you were to engage in a conversation, you know, you as a uh, an orthodox, uh, historically orthodox Christian believer were to approach uh, a member of the RLDS Church, and you were to say, now, hey, just state it frankly, do you believe in salvation by the grace of Jesus Christ? They could answer, yes. And you, as the historically orthodox Christian, would go away scratching your head, saying, well, what is the big deal then? Well, please understand that if it is a different Jesus and a different appreciation of what grace is, at that point, you have... Um, just gone a, a completely different direction from where your question went. There's there's some um, uh, difficulty in having a conversation using these theologically freighted words, uh, this church ease. We'll have to agree to have the conversation in, in a new uh, way, apart from this sort of Christian ease. We'll have to get down to the foundations of this. And I am personally interested in getting down into the foundations of this. I don't know what direction you want to take this, but Joseph Smith himself is not actually the foundation of this because I've heard uh, in my conversations uh, that the Book of Mormon doesn't need Joseph Smith. I've heard from elders of the RLDS, uh, the the Community of Christ, I've I've heard uh, that statement repeated. The Book of Mormon doesn't need Joseph Smith. Uh, The the, uh, Latter-day Saintism then doesn't have this this need. He is certainly part, but what I don't want to do is simply go through and do a a character assassination. You know, there's no stick too good to beat that Joseph Smith with. That is not anyone here's intention or desire at all. But I want to even step away from that and ask, what is the heart of the matter 
with the RLDS church. And as I understood what you were uh, saying at the end of that very verse, uh, the priesthood and the bestowal that comes from this priesthood. I don't know if that's the direction that you want to go at this time, but... No, that's fine. We can certainly move in that direction, Matt. And, and uh, just to finish up the thought that you had brought up earlier about um, about agreeing with Latter-day Saints on grace, where they would say yes, they will say yes. But in their mind, what they do is they lop off the second phrase of this uh, second Nephi quote, which qualifies it. Right. Uh, so they'll, they'll say yes, we believe that you're saved by the grace of God. But playing in the background of their mind, it's after all we can do. Right. Yes, of course, we're saved by the grace of, of God, after all we can do. And so that's, uh, that, that's what they don't say, uh, because they know that doesn't work well in, in, in mixed company. You know, it doesn't work well. They want to be accepted as Christians, uh, and so they, they've learned that, you know, what they can say and what they can't say uh, to be accepted as a Christian. But back to, but back to you know, following along with um, the foundation <clears throat> of all Latter-day Saintism, um, I think it's important for our listeners to understand exactly what Latter-day Saintism is. Um, in, in order to reach out meaningfully and effectively to Latter-day Saints, we need to understand how they see themselves. And how they see themselves is how Joseph Smith framed them, how he framed uh, his scripture, how he framed the church, uh, how he framed uh, the church's goal and destiny on the planet. And so let's take a few minutes and look at the underpinnings of what Joseph Smith claimed for Latter-day Saintism. There are two building blocks which are central to all Latter-day Saintism, uh, to Joseph Smith's understanding. The first one was a strong sense of his church being Latter-day Israel. Now that's the, the primary building block. The secondary building block, which is a necessary prerequisite once you believe that your church is Latter-day Israel, is an exclusively authorized priesthood uh, as a part of being Latter-day Israel. And, and this priesthood, of course, um, is, the, is exclusive. Uh, Joseph Smith uh, taught, uh, and the early church believed, and many Latter-day Saints still believe today, uh, that Christianity had left the planet, that the early Christian church uh, that we read about in the first century uh, over time, and it wasn't very many years, uh, over time they, cr they first corrupted their doctrine. And because they corrupted their doctrine and scriptures, uh, they lost their priesthood authority. So there is a sense of an organic priesthood of authority that was resonant within the first century church. Uh, because that church corrupted its doctrine, ultimately they lost their priesthood authority. And without priesthood, you can't even be a Christian. In other words... Uh, Matt, we know that uh, faith in Christ is what it takes to be a Christian. In fact, there are people all over the world throughout 2,000 years who have never really come across another Christian, but they have received the Word of God in one form or another. They read about Jesus, they read about the Gospel, they pray, they become Christians just based on their faith. Not so in Latter-day Saint circles. In Latter-day Saint circles, you must be baptized by one having this organic authority uh, that comes directly from God. So unless you're baptized by a, a legitimate priesthood member in a Latter-day Saint movement, uh, you cannot be a legitimate Christian. So, so, Matt, that would mean that you and I are not legitimate Christians, you know, that we're on the outside looking in. And they believe that this was true all the way up until the year, the year 1830, in 18, or around the year 1830, 
Um, when, when Joseph Smith began his church, he, believed he, he believes he had two experiences, or at least that's the way the storyline goes. Now, personally, Matt, I don't believe that either, uh, I, I honestly don't believe that either one of these experiences actually happened at all. <clears throat> but initially, he claims that John the Baptist uh, came and restored to he and Oliver Cowdery the Aaronic priesthood. A short time later, he's uh, telling people that Peter, James, and John came and restored the Melchizedek priesthood. And so you have this higher Melchizedek priesthood in combination with the Aaronic priesthood. Uh, and there's five different offices. You know, the, the Melchizedek priesthood has the office of high priest and elder. And the Aaronic priesthood has the offices, the sub-offices of uh, priest, teacher, and deacon. And what you find in the, and so that, that is in keeping with this whole concept of being Latter-day Israel, together with restored priesthood authority. Now, these, these priesthood members <clears throat> have to get their authority from someone. If you're a Latter-day Saint priesthood member, um, you can call and ordain somebody else. It's an organic, transmitted authority. If I have it, Matt, I can give it to you. If you've been a baptized member in a Latter-day Saint church, uh, I can call you to a priesthood office. I can because I have the priesthood. I've got that special sauce, you know. Uh, I can lay my hands on you, and I can I can transmit that priesthood authority to you. And so it cascades down from generation to generation, except if you corrupt your doctrine. And and of course, this is a, a matter of contention among many many Latter Day Saint groups today. Um, very few Latter-day Saint groups will accept the priesthood authority, consequent the, consequently the baptisms and the blessings and all the other uh, priesthood matters that are conducted by any of the other groups because each group believes that they're the one true church that's been restored on earth. They're, they're, they're the only group, uh, many of them believe, which have um, retained their pure doctrine. And so it's a matter of, of great uh, terror uh, among Latter-day Saints. They, they really fear losing this priesthood authority because they know that that's the end game. If you lose your priesthood authority, it's over. That's what got the early church in trouble mm -hmm. uh, in the early centuries of the church. And they believe that's what's gotten many other Latter-day Saint movements in trouble. For in other words, the RLDS church does not accept the priesthood authority of the Utah Mormon church and vice versa. Uh, the, the, many of the remnant and restoration branches in this region, many of those don't accept the priesthood authority of each other. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, a man will be go through have to go through an inquisition. If you want to join a group, they've got to set you down and ask you, where'd you come from? Who'd you meet with? Who'd you sit under? And they kind of have to pass judgment on, on whether you've lost your priesthood authority or not. So priesthood authority, when, when I talk around Matt at churches, I, I tell people, and this is absolutely true, that the essence, that the pure essence of all forms of Latter-day Saintism is this sense of a restored priesthood authority. Mm -hmm. I want to take a moment now to again remind people that this is Well-Placed Faith, and you are welcome to get onto the Well-Placed Faith website or write a, a letter to us, an email at wellplacedfaith at yahoo.com. Uh, you can check in with our Facebook page and re-listen to uh, this broadcast. But I also would very much like to point back to help the numeral four RLDS. Help for RLDS. And can people reach out to you personally to come to their uh, church or their gathering and have you come and present and speak and, and teach on uh, this subject? 
Yes, that's absolutely true, Matt, and I, I've been to your church uh, more, more than once, and I've been to a, a bunch of churches in this region. I've, I've taught in seminaries and Bible colleges. Uh, that's, that's what this ministry is about, is sharing the information in, in, in an accurate, uh, biblical kind of way. So I'd be happy to do that. So just, there's a room on our website, if you go to our homepage on the, and you look at the menu at the very top of the page, on the far right-hand side there will be a Contact Us button. Just click that button and send us a note. Uh, we'd be happy to respond. There is so much that is made available through well-placed faith. We have connections with other ministries. If you are uh, even just merely curious, let alone have a desperation for, if you are curious about the truth, we have available to you, uh, coupling with other ministries, uh, the gospel vehicle, the, the ministry machine that we have talked about before, uh, the, the well-placed faith, a, the uh, a refiner's fire. There's there's a gathering of different ministries that we are trying to do here, so as to be able to put together uh, various and sundry the orthodox, historically orthodox Christian believers to have a gathering, to have a a hand shaking point, a confederacy of believers or a confederacy of ministries, if you will. And we want for you to be able to find not our sufficiency, but the f sufficiency found in the person of Jesus Christ. We want for you to be able to meet with salvation if you do not have uh, an understanding and appreciation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want for you to be able to appreciate that you do not have to be in any way polished in any way, cleaned up before you come to Jesus. You simply, in the condition that you are in, repent, which does not mean stop doing your own sins, and then after you get that uh, figured out, then come to this Jesus. No, what we are saying is that you just as you are in the mess that you are in or in the wonderful place that you are in. Maybe there's nothing seemingly wrong with your existence where you are. You think that you've got the world by the tail. Jesus is worthy of our adhering to him and our allegiance to him. Bow the knee before Jesus. He is our true king. So come by way of just simply diverting your gaze, as it were, from the world to God, the one true God, uh, the, the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not something magical. That's not something that is uh, Aristotelian. It's not something that needs to come by way of experimentation. It's something that you simply cry out to Jesus. He is only ever always as far away as the mention of his name. Call out to him for this grace. Call out to him for his salvation. And count on nothing else, not law abidance, not your own efforts, not your presentability, none of these things. Come as you are and call out for the mercy available to you. Jesus Christ has already paid the price for our sins. There is nothing left to be done in order to be able to get you to be uh, unified and reconciled with the one true living God other than to simply receive this gift, this grace that has been given. 
Jesus has on the cross taken care of all of the righteous demands and he has paid all the price of any wrath that was due. Call out to Jesus, your forgiveness is given by way of who he is and by way of what he has done. You simply stand to be the benefactor in calling out to him. Please, again, to uh, well-placed faith or uh, to refiner's fire at help, the numeral four, rlds.com. Paul, Leslie, please let me hand it over to you and, and give you the remaining four minutes. Well, Matt, <clears throat> I was very uh, happy to hear you uh, talk about the, the, the proper you know, attitude, the proper mental framework with, within which to approach God for salvation. And, and the, the bottom line message is, come as you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're incapable of cleaning yourself up. That's why we need Christ. That's the offense of the cross. Absolutely. You can't do it. Will you please yield and let him? And so as we yield, it's, it's God that cleans us up. We, we've got it backwards. So many people feel like they've got to get themselves cleaned up before they can come to God. And they don't understand that, that our, our filthiness, you know, our, our righteousness, as uh, the Old Testament says, is nothing but filthy rags before God. And that's true today, too. Uh, it's because of our incapacity. It's because of our inability to perform uh, the fact that we've soiled our clothes uh, it bespeaks the reason that we need Christ. And so when we merely cry out and acknowledge our brokenness, we must acknowledge our brokenness before him. As we acknowledge our brokenness, he comes down and washes the slate clean and gives us new birth and makes us new people. Plus, he begins to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit, which, gave, which then, because as Paul says, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Once Christ begins living in us, then he begins living his life out through us. And then we can truly do those righteous things, which he had predestined before, uh, that we should do. Right, right. Again, uh, not to uh, <clears throat> simply go around just bashing, but hopefully in an attempt at a POW rescue mission, looking out for those whom we love and care for. If it requires a priesthood, if it requires a special laying on of some endowment beyond uh, what it is that Christ has done, then please hear this. That means directly and immediately that Christ does not save, that Christ is inadequate, that Christ is insufficient. I want for for those who are trying to contend with that notion in their mind, do business with that as a matter of fact. Again, what I'm not trying to do is speak in some intolerant way. I'm pleading with us to just simply do business with the dictionary. If Jesus is not sufficient for our salvation, the fullness of our salvation, then we simply have no hope. We turn solely and only to Jesus Christ, for neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. He is the author and perfecter of our salvation. It is to him that we turn with all hope Beyond Christ, there is no hope. We plead with you as friends to utilize some of these resources that we have brought to you. All you really need is the desperation of a contrite heart. 
He won't reject that. If you will turn to him and call out to Jesus, asking him for his salvation, then you can be saved. Please get in contact with us. It's necessary for you to get in contact with God, though, through prayer. Call out to him. God bless you. This is Well-Placed Faith. Crucified, dead.